This morning for our scripture reading, I'll have Ethan Hart come up and read for us. And I would ask us to stand for the reading of God's word. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money bags, nor a bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, which stands forever. And we pray that this word will speak to us, speaker and hearer alike that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you and we give you praise. And we pray that you would help our hearts to be the soil that is ready to receive and to grow the seed of your word in us. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Ethan. So this morning, because I'm afraid of technology failing me, um, for the first time, I printed out my sermon in paper, too, in case. I don't know why. I just, I just had a panic of, what if it goes wrong? What if I, the technology does not work? Um, so uh, I'm going back to um, the 90s and the 80s. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so we, we meet Jesus here as um, he, last week, Pastor Ryan gave a very good a very good sermon, and he spoke a little bit about the fact that it is not by us, it is not our doing, it's by faith that we are saved. Am I right? Grace and faith. He said, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that was his, his title there. And then as well, what he did is he spoke a little bit about and drew in into the authority that Jesus had. He drew into the previous week and he said, Jesus, the, the, the crowds, when they heard Jesus preach, the Bible says they were amazed because he taught as one with authority. 
And I hope we remember those things because they're going to be important in our talk today. And as we move on to it, Matthew 9, 35 to 38, this is usually used for pastors and missionaries and sending people out, which that song was definitely a good song for this today. But I want it to, to apply to us today who are sitting in these benches, who are not uh, missionaries that are sent out, who are not um, um, pastors and teachers and um, the fivefold ministries that are sent out. I wanted to apply to every one of us who is sitting here today. What is Jesus saying to us? So I'm going to try and go verse by verse. Um, um, actually, let me not say verse by verse, by portion by portion, so we can have an understanding of what Jesus meant with certain things around here. Um, so Jesus comes in, and my title is, It is Harvest Time. It is harvest time. So Jesus comes in here and he sees the people. He sees the crowd. The Bible says he saw the crowd and he had compassion over them. He saw the crowd. They looked helpless. He saw the crowd. They looked like sheep with no shepherd. He saw the crowd. They looked harassed. When you read different versions, they give you different words for harassed and helpless there. And, but the... the it comes back to the fact that Jesus sees these people and he sees the dismay in the people. And, and this is a situation that we are in without Christ. Let me start there and say, we, without Christ, we are like the sheep that have no shepherd. Without Christ, we have no protection. What is the work of the shepherd? The shepherd's work is to protect to take to the pastures, uh, to take to the water, um, to make sure that the sheep are kept together, to make sure there's a lot of things that the shepherd does to protect his flock. There's a lot of things that the shepherd does to nourish and feed his flock. And when Jesus looks at these people, he sees a group of people. He sees Israel in a place where they will starve, in a place where they will be caught in a teacher, in, 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 some, in some thorns and not be able to come out in a place where they would die because the shepherds are not really interested. So the people are seen as people who are wearied, who are tired, who are helpless. And I know this, some people might say, oh yeah, this speaks of mostly the world, but also it speaks of us in the church. We have we have people in the church, we have situations, I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. We have situations where the shepherds have negated their job. And the sheep are like the ones that Jesus sees in this picture without a shepherd. And it's not just only sadly the Jewish people who experience that. We as a church have experienced that and we'll talk about that as we go. But it's a very sad situation that we're in. The state of things here is that Jesus sees two things in his mind. The two pictures that he sees, he sees a neglected flock of sheep, and then he sees a harvest that might go to waste. And both those are because of certain people not doing what they need to do. This is the blight of the people that Jesus implies here the neglect of Judy from the religious leaders of the time, 
And this, this is just a situation that we find ourselves in to in situations of our lives. And I'm going to go into that and try and help us understand what I mean by that. In Matthew 9, 35 to 38, which is part of our text this morning, in verse 36, the Bible says Jesus had compassion over them, which literally means that he was moved to pity, I mean, from the stomach. When you've got, the word that is used there for compassion in Greek is the word that speaks of the outermost pity that somebody might have over somebody. So he is moved. Usually, you know, as a Messiah, he should be moved about that the Romans um, are repressing Israel. But it's not the same movement that he has when he sees the people without a shepherd, when he sees the sheep lost. He, he is moved to his uttermost by just looking at those people and seeing that situation. When I was writing this, I asked myself a question, which I'll, I'll ask you too. Do I feel pity and that compassion for my neighbors, for my friends, for my colleagues, for my classmates, for my family members that have not come to know Christ? I say I'm a disciple of Christ. I say I'm a follower of Christ. I say I'm walking in his footsteps. One of the things of walking in his footsteps is having compassion on the lost. Are we moved to compassion by watching the lost and seeing them in the state that they are in of helplessness? Or are we content in our circles of Christians and people who are like us? Where are we? Where am I? What is it that I'm compassionate? What, when, when do I see somebody who is lost and I'm hit by so much compassion that it stops me in my tracks? When has that happened to me? When has that happened to you? I want you to think about that. We are called to be compassionate to our non-believing fellow men. We are called to walk in compassion. Sometimes as Christians, we are very quick to judge and point a finger. We're very quick to show them how better we are than them. But is, is that coming out of compassion? Usually not. It's coming out of self-righteousness. By grace, are you saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Least any of us should boast. When we are not compassionate, we are walking boastfully. We are saying we do this. We, we got this. We don't. Somebody said um, to us, I think it was at staff meeting this past Tuesday, really stuck with me. They said it could be, I think it's Pastor Rob Fisher. He said any of us, we're talking about the situation um, um, I don't remember what the situation was, but we're talking about some situation of people who are lost. And Pastor Rob said, it could be any one of us. Just like that. 
It could be any one of us sitting here who are staff members here at Broadway, who are pastors here at Broadway. It could be any one of us just like that, save for his grace. We are saved through grace. That should give you compassion for your fellow human who is walking in the dark and starting to wonder in your heart, how do they make it through life? This should be really hard. And I challenge you, I challenge myself, if we have compassion. But also I want you to realize that uh, we need to be very honest here as Christians and admit that compassion does not come naturally. That kind of compassion that Jesus had does not come naturally. It only comes to us by the grace of God in our hearts. The moment we experience the grace of God, the moment we taste the goodness and the grace of God, it changes our hearts. And compassion, the compassion of Christ is then put in our hearts. It's not something that we can do. It's not works. It's not a natural gift. It's not a natural talent, the compassion that we're talking about here. It's when the Spirit of God in us has that compassion for somebody who is lost. And it comes, it's not a product of work, it's a product of prayer. And our church this year, we've been directed so much towards prayer. And I want to encourage you, that time of prayer changes not only the outside what you're praying for, but most of all, it changes our hearts. When we spend time in prayer, our hearts are changed more than anything else. And this is an opportunity for us to say, Lord, fill us with that compassion. Help me, Lord, to feel that compassion for my classmate. Help me, Lord, to feel that compassion for my neighbor, who is as annoying as ever. Help me to have that compassion for my brother or my sister or my cousin, who is obnoxious as all of them can be. Help me to be compassionate. It doesn't come naturally. We, we need to realize here that each and every person, Jesus goes on after feeling the compassion for them and seeing this. And I, I want to touch a little bit of why they were sheep without shepherds. Their shepherds were the, the scribes and teachers of the law and the Pharisees and all these people, but they had forgotten and they had neglected their duties. So Jesus sees that and he's grieved by that, but also he's compassionate for the people. And then he goes a step further to that. He realizes the potential that is in these people. There is potential for salvation to everybody that we meet. There is potential for them to experience this grace that we have experienced. Broadway, this morning, if I were to sit here and say to each and every one of you, tell me what's happening in your life at this point, we'll be here forever. Because there'll be stories of heartache, there'll be stories of worry, there'll be stories of this and that, but one thing that remains is that we have somebody who carries that for us. And, and the world has got the same and even more, but they don't have anyone to carry it for them. They're carrying it themselves. And that's why the compassion comes up in my heart and, and the worry comes up in my heart. How do they do it without Jesus? So I want to encourage you that when you see somebody, when you see somebody who's lost, I want you to know 
and understand that there is potential. Jesus sees that potential of salvation to each and every one. He says, go into the world and preach the gospel. Each and every one of us, each and every one of the people that we meet around us has potential to encounter Jesus. And how can they encounter Jesus if they don't see him in us? We say we are disciples. Last time when I spoke here, two, the previous two times that I spoke here, um, two times back, I think, I spoke here, I spoke about Jesus saying, come, follow me, or make you a fisher of men. I spoke about Jesus' invitation to us to walk with him, to walk beside him, to be disciples. This is part of being disciples, seeing the potential that each person has to receive Jesus. There is nobody who's lost to a point that Jesus cannot save them. There is nobody. And today, if you've got a child who has walked away, and today if you've got a relative that has walked away from Jesus, there is potential, there is nobody who is beyond the saving grace of Jesus. And his arms are open. He's calling us to be his arms and feet and mouth too. So Jesus sees the potential here. And then the other thing that, 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 that actually makes me so glad is that Jesus does not say, yeah, and he knows his father is omnipotent. God can do anything. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's got all the power. He could just flick his finger and everybody be saved. It's his prerogative. He's God. But Jesus sees that when he sees this, this is the, the more, one of the most interesting things, that Jesus does not say, well, yeah, the harvest is plenty. The laborers are few, but that doesn't matter. My father can sort this out. Um, he can bless a few. Yeah, you know, it's fine. But no, what he does, he says, pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest, he invites us. <laughs> he invites us to be part of this harvest. The father could have harvested by himself without us. He doesn't need us. It, re it, it gives relief to me to know that God does not need me to fulfill his mandate. He invites me to be part of his mandate. And that invitation I accept fully because I know that it brings forth reward. And I know that it's part of what God has for me. And I want to challenge you that today as you look at this, just like Jesus, when he speaks here, he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth more laborers. If, if, if a harvest... If a harvest is out there and the fields are ready, the farmers know that if they don't remove it before the rain comes, what happens to the harvest? We, we are in corn country here. What happens to the corn before, let's say, before the winter comes and um, it's, um, it grows up and the harvest is out before the winter comes and then winter comes early? What happens to the farmers who have got corn in the field? It's lost. And I want, to I want to challenge you in that if there is a good harvest, and Jesus says the harvest is there and it's good, it goes to waste if there are no laborers. God is calling you and me to be laborers, not in the big scale that we always think of. Oh yeah, we think the laborers are Billy Graham, 
uh, who, stand, who, who used to stand and call thousands of people to the Lord. The laborers include each and every one of us. That old lady who sits and prays for the harvest, who did not have the energy to stand up and go and speak to somebody else, but spent the time talking to Jesus about the situation of the church, the situation of the world. God has called us as laborers in different areas. In whatever area God has called you to be a laborer in, what is happening to the harvest that is ahead of you? The harvest includes our family members. The harvest includes our neighbors, our colleagues, the people around us. Sometimes the harvest includes the people in our church. Is the harvest going to waste while we sit it here? Let's move on. We'll come back to this later. In Matthew chapter 10, as we go on with the chapter, we see the next chapter skips in Matthew chapter 10. He starts to speak and to send these disciples. Jesus did not just call the 12. He also gave them power to do what he called them to do. Jesus does not just call you into the harvest. He gives you the power to do what you need to do. You know, a farmer, when he hires people to come and, and work in his farm, he gives them the tools that they need for them to reap, whether it's picking up uh, strawberries, where to put them, and, and places to keep them cool so they don't go bad, and all these things. He provides equipment. So there's the thing. The most important thing about this is that in that picture, I want you to see this. The farmer gives them all this equipment, but the farmer cannot give them the power and the energy to do what they need to do. But in our stance, Jesus, who is the owner of this vineyard that we are called to be, where the harvest is plenty, he gives us not only the tools, but also he gives us the power and the energy to be able to do what we are called to do. He gives the disciples, the Bible says he gave them power. In our staff meeting, Julio pointed something which is really good. The fact that the Greek, the Greek that is used, therefore, he gave them power is a continuous word. He continues to fill us. He continues to give us power to do what we are called to do. He doesn't just call you and leave you. He calls you and equips you and fills you to do what he has called you to do. We are called of God. In the beginning of the of first Peter, when Peter writes to the church that is scattered, he says the first things that he says is that to those who are called and elected, we are called and elected. You are called for a purpose. You have been elected for a purpose. And God has equipped you for that purpose. God has equipped you for that purpose. Same thing as the disciples that we see here. For that harvest, God has equipped them. Sometimes it's not evident at the beginning of our purpose. It's not evident at the beginning. Let me, let me, look at the, let, let me give you a few examples from the disciples. Matthew, he's a tax collector. He's despised by the Jews for being a tax collector working for the opposition. But also he's 
tax collectors were known for taking more than what they need. So they were known for stealing. I'll put it plain. They were known for crooking the books. So Matthew is called out of that. And Jesus does not come to him and say, repent before you come to me. He says, come, follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. And Matthew leaves everything and walks and follows him. The potential is not seen at that point. Nobody can see it. That Matthew is going to make this great disciple. Matthew is going to write one of the books that we read in the Bible. That Matthew is going to walk with Jesus throughout. That Matthew is going to be used as an apostle even afterwards. Nobody sees that when Matthew is sitting at that table. And when, even when Matthew is being called by Jesus to come out of that table, nobody sees that. Whatever your situation is where God calls you, some people might not see the potential that is there. It's not for them to see. It's for God to know. And when God knows that, he will equip you for what he has called you to do. Peter, big mouth Peter. He's like me. I'm so much like Peter most of the times. I, 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 sh I spill out and I'm like, oh, I should have thought about that. Where is my wife to help me in this? And, and, and Peter, in that situation, Peter is... Who knew that Peter is going to be the leader of the disciples? Watching this forward guy, <laughs> very forward, who even rebukes the Lord and says, fight before you that you go to the cross. I will be with you. So potential might not be seen by people in you what you've been called to do. It might not be evident in the beginning, but work with the Lord. Brian Daney uses this, this phrase that I really like, that don't walk way ahead of the Lord, don't walk way behind of the Lord, walk right in step with him, and you'll see what he's going to accomplish through you, because he has equipped you. It's by grace. It is by grace. His grace is sufficient for us. I was going to go into the word apostle, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip that because I think my time is moving. The word apostle speaks of a messenger, one who's sent on a mission. Um, we, we have heard that. We have known that. Um, and the 12 disciples are called the apostoli in Greek. Um, and now they are sent as the apostolin, which means those who are sent to proclaim the message of the kingdom. Um, and when Jesus sends them, he gives them a command he commands them. The word that is used there is paragelion. That's a Greek word too. And that word command has got four things in it. The first one, it's the regular word of a military command. For those who are veterans here, you know, if you're a veteran here, you know that um, when the commander says we're doing this, that's what we're doing. And Jesus, in this state, he speaks just like the way a military commander would speak. We're talking about authority here, the authority that he had. And as well, secondly, it's used as well in the calling of one's friends to one's help. When you've got a good friend and your friend is crying for help, that call that drives you and draws you to being there and help your friend, this is the type of call, command that Jesus is giving. And it's also used by a teacher who's giving instructions and rules to his students. But also it is used just for an imperial command. In the US, we don't have a king and queen. 
But if you go to a country like Swaziland, where Jack and Carol are, and where the youth is going next year, I'm so excited. You see the difference because then if the king says something, the king's word is law in the land. Whatever the king says, that's what they do. It's the imperial command. The imperial family has the power to say, this is what is going to happen, and this is the direction we are taking. And I know for Americans, it sounds like, oh, no. And that's what, that's what our four, your forefathers ran away from and came to the, new, to the new England, to the new world, coming away from the imperial leadership into democracy. But that imperial leadership, it, it's a good picture of God's sovereignty and kingship over the church. Jesus, as the king and the imperial leader of the church, when he makes a command, we move. When he says, stand still, we stand still. When he says, sit, we sit. When he says, walk, we walk. When he says, run, we run like a lion is chasing us. And in this, Jesus commands them. And the command that he gives them, he tells them not to go in the ways of the Gentile. That's very, sometimes like, oh, why not? But remember in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Jesus uses the same precept and the same order that is given there, that it will go to the to the Jews first. He says, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who are these lost sheep? In our situation here, who are these lost sheep? Charity begins at home. Before we can go out there and be all these things to all the people of the world, how are we doing in here by being that to one another? Before we can show Jesus to the world, we need to leave Jesus here. Leave him out here. Let's see him here in our pews. Let's see him here when we walk with one another during the week, in our small groups during the week. Let's see Jesus here. Before the world can see Jesus, then the world will be able to look in and see Jesus and be attracted to this. By the time we walk out to speak to them, they're already attracted by what they saw in here. So there's a challenge for us, another challenge. We are commanded to start here in Jerusalem. Start with the people, somebody sitting behind you, next to you, uh, in front of you. Are you being Jesus to that person? He says, start in the lost, in the, in the house, start here by the lost ship. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we are all like a sheep that have gone astray. We've turned each one in his own way. And that's Isaiah speaking of Israel. And sometimes when sheep have turned in their own way, they need somebody to correct them gently and bring them back to the fold. And this is part of what we do in here. Being Jesus to one another does not mean that we don't correct one another. Being Jesus to one another does not mean that we don't confront one another. Jesus was one of the biggest confronters I know. But he did it gentle and with love. And he was driven by compassion. 
So I want to challenge you and me. How are we doing in that? How is Jesus shining here through us to one another before he shines out there? Shine, Jesus, shine. But start shining here so that your glory will be seen by the world. The Bible says, Jesus says, uh, we spoke about this months ago when Jesus said that do all your good works so that your Father in heaven will be glorified and the people would see that and glorify your Father who is in heaven. How are we glorifying Jesus amongst ourselves? I told you I'm not going to take this and talk about preaching to the, um, to the world and sending missionaries to the world. We do a great job in that. I want us to as well look at what does it mean for me sitting here? What is the scripture saying? What is Jesus saying to me as I sit here who's not a missionary, who's not in the fivefold ministry? The disciples were both given a message and power to back that message. And Jesus has given us a message. I know sometimes it's been misconstrued um, that St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use the word. Some people have used that not to avoid speaking the gospel. But no, he calls us to both walk the gospel and speak it. He has given us a message and the power to walk it and demonstrate it. Where is the power in the church? We see he says to them, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. That's the power. It's still here. That power is still here. He's still the same Jesus who gave him that power, and he still gives that power to us. Let's walk in step with him. When we walk in step with him, we'll experience his power. When we walk in step with him, we know what his message is. When we walk in step with him, then we are fully and truly following our master and walking with the master. We have a message. And our message is very simple. Jesus crucified and resurrected. That's our message. Simple. In whatever we do, the message goes back to Jesus crucified and resurrected. Then Jesus goes on and he speaks to them and says, freely you have received, freely you give. And he tells them they should not expect payment. I was speaking to somebody yesterday and they're like, yeah, I did this for so and so, I did this for so and so, and they never said thank you. It was on Friday, I think. They never said thank you. And it just popped in my head that Jesus said, freely you give, freely you receive. But also, we, are not, we don't do what we do to, to get a reward here on earth. If your reward is here, you are done. If the people manage to say, oh, thank you, you are so wonderful. And I'm not saying that people should not be grateful. People need to be grateful. But if that's what you're expecting, a payment here, then you don't have a reward there. If I'm expecting that I get a payment here, if I'm expecting that I, I, I receive my Jew here, as I would call it, I'm done. There's nothing to look forward to. 
That's what Jesus says, it's not me. He says that those who have received their reward here, they're done. They've gotten their reward. And I want to encourage us that as freely as we've received this, let us freely give it to others. As freely as we receive this power, let us freely speak with us and demonstrate that power. As freely as we receive the message, let us freely give it to others. It's not like you send me five dollars and I can send you the power to heal you. It doesn't work that way. Some of our brothers and sisters have erred in that direction, but it doesn't work that way. He says, freely you have received. If it's from God, freely you have received it, freely give it. And then the other thing is we need to, and he goes on and he talks to them about, do not take this, do not take money, do not take this. And in that point, he's showing them that God is a supplier. God meets our needs. We need to trust God to be the one who provides and meets our needs. It's great to have a savings. We need to. We need to be wise. I mean, is it Proverbs or it's Ecclesiastes who says, uh, it's Proverbs who says, you fool, look at the, look at the end. He, he carries and stores away for winter. Uh, why not like that? Yes, we are called and we've got that, we've got that responsibility. But our hope is not lying on what we have stored. Our hope should be lying on what he provides. Our, our hearts should not be set on what we have set for ourselves here on earth. Our hearts should be set on what he provides for us. How are we doing in trusting God to provide? These guys are told not to take anything. Don't make a, he, he says to them, in a way what he's saying to them, don't make a fundraising before you go. You don't, need, you don't need all that. Watch and see God provide. When you are faithful doing his work, he's going to be faithful to provide. He's not a debtor of men. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, 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 he won't. David says that I have been young, now I'm old, but I, would nev- I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. He's a provider, and he will provide. His name is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. And as well, the Lord will use us. We should be ready to be used to provide for others, whether it's hospitality or whatever. The Lord will use us to be able to meet the needs of others. And when you allow yourself to be used to meet the needs of others, you, you suddenly become part of, part of a system where God is the source and he flows through you to help others. It's like sometimes we love being a, a swamp that holds everything. Yeah, give me, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy and it's for me, myself and I. And we hold it together. And then, and, and then we forget that when we become a river that flows, in a swamp nothing lives there, it dies because it's a swamp. But in a river there is life, there is ecosystem that lives underneath there. When you start to be ready to be used 
to be a river of whatever God has entrusted you with and start to be a river in serving some of God's people through what God has entrusted you with, then you experience life in its fullness. And sometimes we are very much, Jimmy, Jimmy, my name is Jimmy. And that's really hard. So they are taught not to only expect that God will provide, but to be able to know that God might, will use them. As much as we see that God uses, they say when you, Jesus says to them, when you get into a city, I want you to ask around and see who is worthy and go in that house and let your peace and your blessing be that house. They'll provide for what you need. So who does God use to provide for his people, which is us sitting here? It is us. In different ways, God uses us. He invites us to be part of the source of provision that he uses for other people. And then the last thing that Jesus says here that's very important to me and important to you guys to hear as we go, as we go and do and go out now to the harvest, as we go out now to the field, as we go out now to the sheep that have no shepherd, what is, what is God saying to us? He's saying our job is to preach the gospel. The people have a choice on how they respond to it. Our job is to walk the gospel. Our job is to talk the gospel. The people hear it, and their job is to respond. But also, the other thing is that it is the Holy Spirit that does the convicting of the world of sin. It is not the church. It is not me as a pastor. It's not the preacher. It's not the believer. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of sin. And then each person has a choice. God has given us a choice to say yay or nay. And when the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in, in Revelation, says, see, I stand and I knock at the door of your heart. If any man would open, he doesn't break through the door. Each person has a choice. He has given us a choice. But having given us a choice as well, it's our responsibility. We've got the choice, so it's a responsibility that we have. And I want you to know that you are not responsible for somebody else's choice that they have made after you've shared the gospel, after you've lived the gospel. You continue sharing it and living it. And that does not mean that you stop sharing to them. Continue sharing and living what God has called you to do. Don't give up. There is potential in that person. Don't give up. God has a plan. And as well, don't beat yourself up that, oh, they didn't hear because me. Take yourself out of the picture. It's so freeing to know that he invites us into his work. He is in charge of the work. He does the work through us. We become like a faucet that opens, but when you open water flows out, the water does not come from the faucet. There's a source that brings up that water. And that's the same thing with you and me. We are the faucet. He is the source. When we speak his word and people don't hear it, when we leave his word and people don't see it, don't worry about it. Continue doing what you've been called to do. Continue doing what you've been called to do. And you're just doing your part. And I'm doing my part. So in, in, in closing today, 
I want to go through again these seven things quickly and as quick as I can. Number one, there is a need in Fort Wayne. There is a need in Fort Wayne, just it was like in Palestine at that time. There is a need in Fort Wayne. People without faith, without Jesus, are like sheep without a shepherd here in Fort Wayne. In Columbia City, where you are, Stacy. In Spencerville, where we are. In whatever small, whatever community that you are in, there is a need. There are people who are lost there. As long as there are people who are lost, there is a need. Number two, we need to have compassion for these for this people. They need to be compassion. We can't lead people to Jesus by judging them or by pointing fingers or by, um, we need to lead to Jesus by having compassion over them. And compassion does not mean, does not mean, sometimes we, we, we mistake compassion and love as to, yeah, you can do whatever you want, it's fine, I'm compassionate about you. No, does not mean that. Look at Jesus. He had compassion over the people. But when he got into the temple and found them selling and trading at the house of prayer, what did he do? Did he say, oh, I'm compassionate, it's okay? No. So compassion has got faces. But I want you to realize that it is driven, whatever the, whatever the output of that is driven by the compassion of God in you. It's not driven by you being better. It's not driven you by you and me trying to show them how good we are or how bad they are. It's a compassion that is driven by the fact that we know the Savior and we walk with the Savior. And it doesn't allow us to have rest when there is a need, when there are people who are lost. The third one is to see potential of salvation to everybody, in everybody. There is potential for people to know the Lord. What is impossible with men is possible with God. There are people that we might say, this is almost impossible trying to lead this one to Jesus. But what is impossible with men is possible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. The fourth one that holds true today is that whom God calls, he equips. He has called us, he has equipped us to do what we are called to do. As we get out of these doors today, or as we stand up today and spend time together in the communal area or in here talking to one another, we are equipped to do what we've been called to do. He doesn't just call us. He gives us equipment. He gives us the power and the energy and the wisdom to do it. And the fifth one is like the 12 apostles. We need to have both the message and the power. Our message is here and here. Meaning our message is in the talking, but also our message is in how we live and walk our lives. We can't be all talk, and this does not match that. And we can't be all this, all walk, oh, I'm not going to talk to them. Then we become like, we become like the, um, uh, the Levite who sees the Samaritan on the road and says, oh, I'm holy. Because we are more this and we're not doing whatever else we need to do. So I want to encourage you that match this and this. The sixth one is to trust in God's provision. He is a provider. 
Your job is not a provider. Your wife is not a provider. Your husband is not a provider. God is the provider. And then the last one is that our job is to preach the gospel. God works in the heart of the people, and the people make a choice on how they respond. Do what you've been called to do. Let God do the rest. Can I get the worship team come, to come forward, please? And I want to encourage you, if you're sitting here today and you have not received Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, if you have, don't have this relationship with Jesus, this might be your opportunity today. As I spoke earlier during confession time, his arms are wide open and he says, come. He's inviting us. He's not repelling us. And I want to encourage you, if that's your situation and you need somebody to pray with you, come to the side of the altar. One of the elders will come and pray with you and, and lead you to that saving knowledge of Jesus. And we want to walk with you afterwards. It doesn't end in a prayer. The prayer is the beginning. But then it's the walk afterwards, and we want to walk with you. So my challenge to us to all who are sitting here, the rest of us who are believers, who have received Jesus, who have got a relationship with Jesus, how is our walk with the Lord when it comes to him calling us and sending us out? What are we doing? We come here, we get fed with the word. After we walk out of this, what happens next? We are called to be the light out there. Let's go and shine. We can only shine if we resemble the master. We are like the mirror that reflects the sun, who is Jesus. And the mirror reflects that light to the world. We are not the source of the light. We are a reflection of that light. Can we go and be that to the world?